Malachi. We ready? Are you getting anything out of Malachi? It's, it's been heavy. I know it's been heavy. And, and here in a couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to come up to breathe for just a few minutes um, before we hit into Christmas time, which is right around the corner. But Malachi, you got to think, these are the last words. There's going to be a 400-year span between Malachi and the book of Matthew that God just really is not speaking to his prophets. So these are kind of like the final last words, the final last words. And so I want us to take that in consideration. Um, if you knew that, that whatever the next words out of your mouth were the final next words, what would they be? Would it, would it be a warning to someone? Would it be telling someone that you love them? What, what would your last words be? These are God's last words to, to this particular generation. And so you have this 400-year gap. And so what God does is he speaks these seven oracles into these people. And so he, he gets on them about a couple of things. And, and before he does, he's trying to correct. If you remember, the people of Israel, have they, they've ended up in bondage. They've come out of bondage. They've been given back to Israel. And it's been 100 years. They've had time to reset, get the temple ready to go, to reinstate everything that they had lost. And they did the exact opposite. And they've gotten into just being kind of lazy and spiritual apathy. And so before God goes in and gives them these corrections, one of the things that he wants to do right out of the gate is remind them that I'm, I'm your father and I love you. And, and sometimes the hardest discipline that we have ever gotten as kids is when your parents would tell you, you know, not that you've done wrong, but hey, I, I love you, and because I love you, there's a consequence for this, because I want you to know better. You remember when your parents used to say, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you? My dad told me that one time. He said, Robbie, this is going to hurt me. I was about to get a spanking, because it was typical. It was annual when the report cards came out. Uh, it was kind of like a combination. My sister got money, I got a spanking. I never figured it out. And, um, and if you're not into spanking, it's cool. We know who your kids are. So he said, he said this, Robbie, son, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. You know what my response was? We should trade spots because I need the discipline right now. I'm the one that messed up. Let me spank you and let me feel the weight of this, right? Um, don't, if you're listening and your child, do not ever, ever, ever say that. It does not work out well. God is telling them, I love you. And I, I know I want better for you. I want you to live in, in, the, in the life that I have created for you. That all you got to do is if you will just follow my ways and obey me and love me, there will be a blessing. And the blessing is you're going to have my presence. And when you have my presence, you have everything that you need. And you will be satisfied within the presence of just who I am. Don't worry about the material. The material goes away. We're never satisfied in the material. You're going to have my presence with you always. And Israel has drifted from that. And so in, in this list of last things, where he talks about their worship, that you're not worshiping, you're not loving me, you have drifted away from, from who I am. He gets into this, and, and think about it. This is, this is a weird thing, because in, in, in all of the things that he lists, one of the things that he talks about is money. Now, remember, God is speaking some of his last words over Israel. And out of these seven oracles, one of the things that he wants to attack is money. So money makes this list of things that he talks about. But remember, he doesn't talk about money. He doesn't start with money 
in, in this passage that we're going to look at, what I want you to notice is he starts with the good news. Because Jesus wants to, he wants your heart. Money's not the problem, right? Money's not the problem. But here's the thing about money and material possessions. They will not be the problem, but they will definitely reveal the problem. You, you following me? They will, they will reveal where your heart is. Look at Malachi chapter 2 in verse 17. He says, you have, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how, how have we done this? Remember, every time that God gives them something they've done, they come back with a question of like, please prove yourself, because when, when have we done this? They're, they're in a little bit of denial. And they said, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is this God, this God of justice? And what he's saying here is, listen, Israel, I can tell that your trust isn't in me. Your trust is in everything else but me. Because you're giving everything that you are, the best of who you are, the best of the things that you have, to the things that do not last. And I am just a side deal that if you need me, you punch in the right code on the spiritual vending machine, and then I just pop out the blessing. And a lot of times, Israel, just like us, they want the blessing, but not the one who gives the blessing. And, and, and I think we're all guilty of that sometimes. I, I, God, I want this, but here's what's going to have to happen for that to take place, but I don't want to have to do it. I just, I just want it. We, we have a sense often of, of our humanity is that we're oftentimes entitled. I mean, one of the ways that you can measure your level of entitlement is when you go shop at the grocery store or anywhere else you shop with your buggy. Do you put that buggy back in the rack or you just leave it conveniently right beside your car? Right? Or, I don't get paid to do this. There's trash on the ground. Well, I don't get paid to pick that up. They pay somebody for that. Entitlement runs rampant. I was talking to a group of teenagers the other day, and one of them said this, oh, my mom and dad better buy me a graduation gift when I graduate. I said, oh, really? What kind of gift? Like, you want a Bible with your name on it? Like, no, they're going to buy me a brand new truck and a boat. I was like, oh, please explain how this works. I've made A's all the way up through school. I'm owed that. It's like, oh, forget the fact that you've got a house, you got clothes, you're going to a you're going to a private school. Um, let me know how that truck thing works. There's a sense that we have this, this entitlement because oftentimes we want the blessing without the blesser. God, give me, but I don't want to do anything. I don't want to have this relationship. I, I just want, and, and it turns into this, this consumerism. It, well, then we shift into chapter 3 in the verse 1 of Malachi, and God starts, again, with the good news of Jesus. It's the gospel. And he lays it out for the people because this is important. Because generosity is a gospel issue. Because it is our response to the good news of Jesus. Of him coming and dying and being resurrected. Okay, This is a gospel issue. And it demands a response. So he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Now this is God saying to the people, I'm coming to you in flesh Emmanuel with you. It's going to happen. You're going to see me face to face. So God's giving them a little bit of a prophetic word here is I'm going to send my messenger. This messenger is going to be Jesus. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. And he's, all he's doing is going back to the promises. He, you know, all the way through the Old Testament, it's pointing to the coming Messiah. 
There's going to be a day. He's, he's dropping little breadcrumbs and little hints all across the way that, yeah, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Yeah, he's going to come riding in on a donkey. And there's, there's all these prophecies. And now he's telling them in his last words that the Messiah is going to come. So he goes into verse 2. He says, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He, he's saying that judgment and cleansing are coming. I'm going to cleanse my house. I'm going to cleanse my people. I'm going to get the sin off of them. There's going to be a, a cleanliness. There's going to be a redemption that's going to come upon my people, but it's going to come with judgment as well. And it says that he will sit as a refiner and as a purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi. Remember, the Levi are the priest. And he's going to refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem... This is all of God's people will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. Jesus will be our once and forever offering. That we don't have to worry. We don't have to go constantly, God, please forgive me my sins. Please save me. God, please forgive me my He, he is the once and for all sacrifice for us that has covered our sins. The Bible says, Paul writes, that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He took ours. And he says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that you and I may become the righteousness of God. Because without him, there was no righteousness. There was just condemnation for us. Because our sin, the weight of our sin was too much. We could not forgive ourselves. There had to be a sacrifice. And, if, and unless we're sacrificing to Levitical code, and we're out in our backyards sacrificing these animals and making these offerings, we're in trouble. Wouldn't you agree? How many of you could live by the Levitical law? Because the majority of us are sinning right now. Do you have two different fabrics on? Anybody got cotton and, and wool on at the same time? Right? It's, it's impossible. The book of Leviticus is great. It's, it's strange because of all the different things. But here's what the book of Leviticus says. You need a Savior because you can't do this. So as you're reading that, you're like, this is so confusing. Yes, because that's what sin does. And he says this is that in verse 5, Then I will draw to you, I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against all those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hard worker in his wages, the widow, the fatherless, and against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So God, God here is laying the gospel out for them. There's a, there's a sacrifice that will be once and for all. Because remember, he already got them on the sacrifices because they were bringing animals that were lame, right? He was building, building, bringing animals that were blemished. He was bringing these animals that uh, didn't even fit in what, what was supposed to be. It was just their leftovers of what they had because they didn't want to sacrifice the best. They were holding things back. And so he's saying there, there's going to be a day that there's going to be one sacrifice. and it's gonna be, His name is going to be Jesus. And so he goes into verse 6. He says, for I, the Lord, here's the most promising verse you could ever read. He says, for I, the Lord, do not change. In theology, we call this immutability. God does not change. Your circumstances may change. Things in your life may change. It may seem like the whole world has fallen apart. You may be caught off guard. You may be surprised by the things that happen. But here's the promise. God said, I am a God, and I do not change. Here's why that's so important. 
Because there is nothing that you could ever do in your life that God would ever love you less than he does right now. There's nothing in your life that you will ever do that God will love you anymore because he is immutable. He is a God that does not change. And so he's reminding them of this. This God that led you out of Egypt and brought you here to the promised land, I did not change. My love for you, I may have been upset. I have given you some consequences. I have delivered you and taken my hand off of you. But my love for you has never, ever changed. He says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, you're not consumed. Because he says, if I, if I changed, uh, you wouldn't be here right now. Because I would just wipe you all out. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, and you've not kept them. So I want you to hear what he's saying. I could have taken you out. I could have consumed you. But I haven't, because my love for you has not changed. He says, and your fathers, they've turned aside from my teachings. They've not kept them. So, so far in here, nothing, they've done nothing, right? They've done nothing to, to receive this blessing. But look what God says right here. He gives them an invitation. After everything they've done, God gives them this invitation. These three important words, return to me. Just come back. Because remember last week we saw they drifted. He said, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Have they done anything to earn this invitation? No. Like we don't do any, we don't bring anything to salvation except the sin that it that is needed for salvation. That's the only thing that we really bring to this. They've done nothing to earn it. So he says, But you say, How shall we return? God gives them the invitation and says, Return. And their question is, because there's a question after everything, and he goes, Well, how? How will we return? Now, what would you think the answer to that question would be? Well, it, okay, I, wanna, I need to return, so I need to attend church more. I need to cuss a little less. I need to update the Bible app on my phone because I had not updated in three updates. I need to read the Bible through in a whole year, right? I need to go serve in a soup kitchen five times a week. Like, what would you think the response to that would be? When God says, return to me, and they're like, well, how would we return to you? Because in my mind, that's what I'm thinking. I need to do all these things to return back to the first love. But I want you to see what, what he says. How shall we return? And he goes on in verse 8. He says, will man rob God? You're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And he says, in your tithes and your contributions. Now, why do you think God would bring up money? Because the question is, how do we return to you? And we have our answers of what we would think that would be. But God answers the question and says, you return to me because you've robbed me with your tithes and your offerings. So, so he brings up money in this scenario. Now, 30% of what Jesus speaks about in the New Testament, in the Gospels, is money. More than heaven, more than hell, more than faith, Jesus says that money reveals our heart. Because remember what I said earlier, money is not the problem, but money definitely reveals the problems. Wouldn't you agree with that in our culture today, that that's the truth? I mean, the, there's, the more money that people make, the less satisfied they are. 
in the, in the things, the sacrifices that people do to make more. Sacrifice the family, sacrifice friendship, sacrifice everything to pursue the thing that doesn't satisfy. And Jesus says, money reveals our heart. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, where your treasure is, your heart's there also. Because it follows it. Right? It follows it. It's, I've used this illustration before, but if I took somebody's wallet in this room and I kept it the entire time, I, I bet I've got that person's attention. Don't I? How many, how many Ohio State fans we got in here? There's a lot of you. I need to be careful what I say. Ohio State. You, you're like, listen, we want our kids to go to Ohio State. We want them to be the one to dot the I, right? And then it's time for college, and your kid looks at you and says, I think I'm going to go to Alabama. you got to write that first check. Would your heart follow? Because after a while, instead of O-H-I-O, it's kind of like roll tide. Because where your, where your treasure is, your heart will follow that. You see what Jesus is saying? It's, it's a heart thing. Where we give the most of our time is where all of our treasure, our time, our talent, our resources, that's where our heart is. Because I can, I'm a diehard Gamecock fan. If my kids disappoint me and decide to go to Clemson, <laughs> if Clemson's paying, I wear orange with a paw on it. Because where my treasure is, my heart, my heart will follow. And, and this is what Jesus is trying to get to: is where, where your treasure is, there is your heart. Jesus doesn't want your money; he wants your heart. That's important, because I don't get preached a whole lot. Because people always think it's about, oh, church, every time I go to church, it's about money. No, if, if, you, if you feel like every time you come here, we've talked about money, we're seeing you about twice a year, okay? So this, this is about, this is about your heart. So Jesus would go on to say in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Why? Because he says moths and, and rust destroy these things where thieves break in and steal. Anybody ever had that happen? Somebody just come and steal stuff right off your property? But you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because if you lay treasures up in heaven, neither moth nor rust destroys, and thieves can't break in and steal what the Father has. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So God's telling Israel pretty much the same thing in Malachi. Is that the way you return is by laying up your treasure, surrendering everything that you have, because where your treasure is, your heart is there. And right now, Israel is in a position that their treasure is all of their things. And they're not bringing their 100%. They're not bringing their time. They're not bringing talent. They're not bringing treasure to where it needs to be. And Israel, and these are the priests, and, and the temple in Israel is being led off course and drifting away from the very thing that they're supposed to be. So Jesus will go on to say that you cannot love two masters. You can't. You, you serve one or the other, but you can't, right? And so you can't serve God and money. No one can serve both God and the stuff on this earth. We just can't do it. We can't. Because something has our attention 
Something has our surrender and something has our sacrifice. And we, start, we have to start asking the question, is what are those things that have our attention and our sacrifice? What, what is getting our attention? When you trust money, you're looking at the money to do for you what the money cannot accomplish. There's only one that satisfies, and that's Jesus. He's the only one that satisfies. Because you can be broke as a joke and have Jesus and have everything than to have everything and not have Jesus. I remember back in 2008, I took my first trip to Haiti, and we were walking in this little village called LaSalle, and there's poverty in this little beachside town, and there's a Haitian guy sitting outside of his makeshift wooden hut with a t-shirt that says, God is good, and I thought, how in the world could you feel that way and you have nothing? And he says, I don't. I don't depend on things. I depend on God. And God is good because I'm still here. In the midst of poverty, I realized this guy wasn't poor. He had everything that he possibly needed and depended on Jesus moment to moment. Kind of like what Jesus said was, Jesus, give us our daily bread just enough for today to get to the next moment. Because it's, a, it's where our heart is. And we get so stuck in the security that our things provide us security. But if we've not learned anything over the last few years, our things will go away quickly. Our 401ks will disappear. Our, our, our investments deplete. Our home values continue to shoot up. But at some point, they're going to come down too. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we put all of our hope and trust that this is our security. And we just fool in ourselves. Because it's not the only security that we have is that of Jesus. It's the only thing. When we trust money, we're looking at it to accomplish what it cannot accomplish for us. And when we look at money for satisfaction, what we're going to find is it'll just let us down. And by the way, if we're looking at money to give us satisfaction and to fulfill needs, that has now become an idol. And that is what we worship. This is why Jesus says where your treasure is, your heart is. Because if your treasure is in the kingdom, your heart is in the kingdom. Because you you kingdom-minded, you're doing kingdom things. So he goes on to say this in verse 9. You are cursed with a curse. Now the curse is that money is your God and you will be cursed forever because money will never satisfy you. The curse is you're going to think that you're satisfied and you're fully fulfilled when you're not. Because Jesus said, "I, I didn't come that you may have life like this little life. I've come that you may have abundant life. There's a big difference between living and being alive. Being alive. He says, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. He calls them all out. All of you robbing me, he says. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. He, he Notice he says this, um, bring, we don't take up, we bring. We bring our offering. We've used that terminology, but we're going to take up our offering right now. We're not taking anything up. We're bringing an offering. It's a sacrifice. It's what we do. We've moved our, our, our giving time to the end of our service because our giving is a time of responding. It is a response to the gospel of Jesus because we want that to be a moment that we realize that we're giving back to God. And by the way, I guess we could say this too. We don't really give anything to God. We bring him our first and our best. But to say that I'm, I'm bringing my stuff to God would be... Um, it would be like you loaning me your car 
and I keep it for about three weeks. And then three weeks later, I show up on your doorstep, and I'm like, hey, man, I got you something. I got you this car. That'd be crazy. Why? Because whose name's on the title of the car? It ain't mine. It's his car. I'm just giving Jesus back what belongs to him. He's letting me have 90%. He should probably only trust me with about 10%. You, you see what I'm saying? And so he says, we bring him our first and our best. So he says in verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, tithe in the Old Testament means 10%. So what's the deal with God, money, and tithing? A, that's a great question, right? What is the deal with it? The reason that we bring to God, we bring to God our first and our best because it is a response to his gospel message. Because we want our hearts, our treasure, to be in the kingdom so that our heart aligns with the kingdom so that we do kingdom things, right? So our response of giving, when we give, we are responding to the character and the nature of our God, who is a God who is a generous, go-first, giving God. I would, I, we would put it this way. When we say that we give God our first and our best, here's what we're saying. We're saying that God is first. He's first. Not second, not third. Your, your spouse is going to fall in the number two spot. Jesus needs to be in the top spot, because if you get Jesus out of the top spot, things don't operate the way they're supposed to. In Colossians 1.15, he says this. Paul writes to the church of Coloss Colossae. He says, he, he's before all things, everybody. He's before all things. He's not under anything. He's not standing beside anything. He is before all things. And get this, not only is he before all things, the Bible says, in him all things hold together. He's the glue. He's the glue. So he is the preeminence. Jesus is not second. He's not third. God is first. He, he shows this because he is before all things. So God is first. God also loved first. God loved first. He says, John 3, 16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. His only one. He, he gave for us. What do we do? Did we ask for it? No, God gave it to us. Because it was the solution, it was to, to fix all the sin that was messed up so righteousness could be restored upon us, that Jesus would take our sin. He, he went first by sending Jesus. So he's a God that's first, he loves first. God went first. He went first. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he says this, but God shows his love for us, get this, while we were yet sinners, while we were doing dumb, sinful things, Christ died for us. He knew. He knew how we were going to talk to our spouses on certain days. He knew that we were probably going to cheat on our spouse. He knew that there were days that we were going to get hung up in alcohol and drug abuse. He knew. And he still died for us. Can you, can you fathom that? I mean, like, what is the response to that? That he knew. And he still gave his life for us. That's why I'm saying the gospel, when we have to process that and think, it, it, it demands a response. Because there's nothing that we can do. And Jesus goes first because that's who he is. He reveals that money will reveal what's first in our lives. He also, we could say this, that it's, it's all his. Everything that we have is all his. Everything. 
when we take this, this thought in the church that everything here, in the, this is Jesus' equipment, this is Jesus' stage, you are Jesus' people. This is Jesus's. But we have to take that same thought into our homes. This is Jesus' house. This is Jesus' chair. This is Jesus' remote control that's missing. Right? All the things in my garage are Jesus's. Is there anything Jesus wants me to get rid of and, and give to the kingdom? Is there any, you know, so when people need to borrow things, it's here, because this is Jesus's. Just remember that when you borrow, this is Jesus's. He knows where it's at. He knows your heart. So if you're not planning on bringing this back, he already knows. It's his stuff. We've all been called to be good stewards and generous of the things that we have, everything that we have. So the tithe in the Old Testament, again, let's go back to this, it's, it's 10%, and here's why. It's called the first fruit offering, first fruit giving. You ever heard that? It's first fruit. We bring our first and our best. Because this is to say, like, we, we grow this crop, and we're not sure how this crop's going to turn out, but we go ahead and get the first and the best of everything that we have of that crop, and we give it to the Lord in faith that everything else is going to be taken care of. Because what happens if you give 10% of your crop and the, the 90% is destroyed or gets eaten by whatever happens in farming? <laughs> like, you know, your corn is, is, is bad. It's rotted. But I've already given my first and my best away. Well, good thing is that God doesn't just take and use the 10%. He also does something. Like, it never really adds up. And I know multiple of you I've talked to about your giving. And there's been moments in my life where we have given, and it did not add up on paper what God did. Anybody can testify to that. Anybody testify? There are moments when it makes zero sense. Because I've, I've gone through a lot of math classes. It's not my strongest thing. But I can tell you this, that I, I know when things don't add up, and it wasn't adding up, but God just does it anyway. And I only can go back to the book of Matthew when, when that little boy is standing there with his little bread and his little fish, and over 15,000 people were fed that day. Because in my hands, it does nothing. When I release that and put it in the hands of Jesus, it multiplies. See, we don't serve a God of division. We don't serve a God of addition. We serve a God of multiplication. He multiplies his kingdom. And so, it's first fruit giving. I'm not, I'm not giving my second best. I'm giving everything. Leftover giving is not giving by faith. Right? And so, the question is this. If that's the Old Testament, and the Bible says we're under this new covenant, what, what does the New Testament say? Is the tithe required in the New Testament? I'll, I get that question from people. Should I tithe? And all the prosperity guys now, in, you know, that were, if you give, God's going to bless you, which is trash and it's heresy. And if you're ever walking to a church or listening to someone that starts telling that if you give, man, God's going to bless you and you're going to be rich, you need to run and put horns on that thing because that is of the enemy. We don't believe in prosperity gospel. So that is the tithe required? If you think that obedience to the law, if you think that obedience to the law will gain you right standing with God, if I do this, if I give to God, then God, me and God are going to be good, then the answer is going to be no. Because we don't give to have a relationship with God. It's not a country club. I don't pay the membership and he loves me. And that's, I think that's how we treat, treat it. Well, if I just serve and I give a little bit of my time, God's going God's to be my friend. If I give a little bit of cash, God's going to be my friend. No, 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 no. He longs for the relationship. Remember, Jesus isn't after your money. What's he after? Your heart. Because where, where, where your heart is, that's where your treasure goes. And your heart's with him, the treasure 
comes to him. And so your giving doesn't dictate if God loves you or not. It doesn't. It will be a metric to show your love for him because of how you're responding to him, knowing what the gospel says. But I think the heart behind that question of is the tithe required in the New Testament, the, the heart behind that is really can I, can I keep some more for myself? And that's really, what, that's really what it comes down to. Our first and our best is not a gift to God because it belongs to God. It's his anyway. Tithe in the New Testament doesn't mean a percentage. It means priority. That I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give. I'm going to give what, what I need to give. The truth is the tithe, we, we tithe the, the something. Everybody tithes the something. Whether it's to the church or it's to you know, a, a school or, or whatever it is. But, but something, something always gets our first and our best. It's like that with our time. It, it's, it gets our first and our best. And oftentimes our first and our best is our comfort and our security. And everything else gets our leftovers and, and God doesn't do leftovers. Because he's commanded for our first and our best. So what it means to be generous is to give our first and our best to the Lord. The only one who can satisfy us is the one who created us and the one who died for us. The one who took on our sin. So the question would be, is Jesus the one thing that drives everything for you? Is that, is that where your heart goes? Is that where your treasure is? Is that where your time, talent, and treasure are invested is into the kingdom? You have to, it's, it's a prioritizing. Right, like Allison and I, we, we, we give. We give of our, our talent, of our money. We give. I'm not saying that as, oh, look, he gives. No, I'm saying a lot of people think that the pastor doesn't give to church. We give consistently. We automate it. It's priority. It's the first of what happens. If our whole life fell apart tomorrow, and we're like, oh, gosh, we're going to have to cut back. We've made the commitment that we give our first and our best because we trust that God's going to provide the security that we need. And he has. I've seen it over and over again. Where it's like, oh, gosh, if we could just give this over here, we would be good. I could have a brand new truck. I could get a truck and a boat um, over time. And, and, but, but then, and, and it's really easy to look at that, but then I start hearing stories and looking at faces of people and, and change that has come about from the investment into the kingdom and seeing what God's doing. And by the way, when you give, because you, this phrase, because you gave, God did this. Um, God is not on a contract with us, but because when we do this, he does that. He will do it despite of us sometimes. When we give, God just does what he's going to do, and he, he uses what we have. It's, it's not by our, our means that we did this. It's what he, he did. just want to clarify that. So we, we, bring, we bring every month we bring into the storehouse. We, we fill the storehouse. We give our first and our best. So God said, bring the tithe into the storehouse. So we, we bring the tithe into our church. And then he says contributions. So on top of your tithe is contributions. So tithe and contributions. The top the contributions, this is on top of the tithe. And the tithe goes to the storehouse, the church, and the contributions go to outside ministries. There's some great ministries happening in, in our community. Um, Change Life Ministries, incredible ministry. It's, it's been around for years helping people. Um, Haitian Christian Projects which does missions work in Haiti right now. When everybody else is shut down, they're still kicking it. Matter of fact, um, because God has blessed us, uh, he has allowed us to be able to go and help 
we had a house fire with a family here, and we, we've been able to not only help here, there's a house fire in Haiti of one of the, the people that we've done missions with, and we've been able to help be a part of a greater body of believers to help get that house back up and built. Isn't it amazing how far our, our resources go to people that we've never met because God just aligns it? So we, we, give, we give to these other ministries, these, these contributions to other missionaries. We, we sponsor and help. So God says, bring your first and your best. And then he says this, and thereby put me to the test. Only time that we ever see that in the scripture. You put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. And if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more, listen, until there is no more, everybody say this word with me, there's no more what? There's a difference between what we need and what we want. I want a truck and a boat. I do not need it. I need friends that have those things, but I do not need it. The blessing is you will always have enough. It will never add up. It will never make sense on paper. You will always have enough because there will be no need because God says, I will provide your every need. I know everything about you. And so he says that I will be there to provide. This is the promise of the, this is the, promise of the presence of God. So learn to live on less than you make. And there's a blessing. It's a supernatural blessing that just happens. So as we open our hands in generosity, what we do is we posture ourselves to receive more, not to receive more, to give more. I mean, to, to receive, let me re, whoop, back up on that. Cut that uh, the video before somebody clips that on YouTube, and I'm a heretic. God gives more, not for us to hoard, but to continue to fill the storehouse for him to, to, to use what he needs to do so that our heart is back towards the kingdom and everything. So we don't, we don't give to get. We give to give. We, we get, we give. We get, we give. Because here's the thing. God will always, always, always use us if we'll allow. So, the, so that's the blessing. God says, test me. And I have to ask myself this question. If, if I were God, would I give myself more money? Not with an Amazon account. Anybody testify to that? God, man. Glad that wasn't around when I was younger. Would I give myself more money, more resources, if I were God? The blessing is in the releasing. It's in the releasing. When we release the resources that God gives us, it releases the grip that they have on us. Paul says this, decide in your heart, give cheerfully, don't give, don't give out of guilt, but decide in your heart what you need to do, what you need to give, how much you need to give what you need to give. Give, but give it cheerfully. Don't give it with a, oh, here it goes. Give cheerfully, not under compulsion, not, not feel like you, you're giving because you feel guilty. When the New Testament teaches on giving, it says this, that it's a priority and it's progressively. Priority and progressively. We make it a priority to give to the kingdom and we progress, like we're gonna, we're gonna make sure this happens. We stay on top of it because we, we want to use. We, we give our tithes and contributions. So there's four categories of giving. I'll give this to you real quick. Four categories. You either you don't give. Okay. You want me to explain that? You got it. You don't give. Some some people have the mentality that you give to get. So I, I give God a dollar. He gives me fifteen. Right. Um, that's the government, that's not God. Um, 
I'm probably going to get flagged for that on YouTube. So IRS, if you're watching, I'm still waiting on my tax refund, by the way, um, so that I can give more. Um, some people give for an IRA or a return on investment. Some people give because they're looking for a return on investment. I, you give because of what can happen. Well, if I give, God's going to, if I give, God's going to do it. It's not, not the heart. We give as a response to who God is. It's a place of gratitude. It's a place of gratitude. We'll skip a couple of verses, and I want to jump to verse 13 of Malachi. Because he says in, in, in verses 11 through 12, basically, hey, listen, it, it, you can trust me and people will notice if you'll live a life of generosity. People will notice that there's something different about the way you live. They'll notice it. And he jumps into 13. He says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. God's saying this towards the people. Your words have been hard for me, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You said it's vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in the morning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evil doers, doers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. After they hear the heart of God, their answer is, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Well, God's never in need. Do y'all know that? He is all sufficient. He doesn't need anything. He is self-sustaining. He's good. I mean, because if he has to depend on anything else outside of who he is, is he God? No. He is self-sustaining. And the people want to know what's in it for me. This is why we have to keep in mind of our response is, is, the, is the nature and character of God. That God loves first, God went first, God is first. He is the preeminence of Christ. He is first. Last thing. In Exodus chapter 13, I want you to see how this plays itself out. This is in Exodus, and this is what he says. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and to your fathers, he shall give it to you, and you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb, all of the firstborn of your animals, your first and your best, that are males, um, they shall be the Lord's. And then verse 14 says this, And when in time... Come to your sons, and your sons are going to ask this question. What does this mean? What does this mean? Because when we, when we live sacrificially, and God is our party, and, and our, our heart is the kingdom, and, and, and our treasure follows that, you're going to get time to educate your kids on it. This is why, this is why we do this. This is why we give to the kingdom. And he says in Exodus that your sons will ask, what does this mean? Because your generosity. And it becomes generational change. Generational change. And you, you shall say to him, and this is the response to the gospel. You shall say to him by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. And from the house of slavery. That our God went first. Our God loved us first. Because he is first and because he went first, you and I, we give our first. That's how we respond because we know him. So if you know him and you call him father, we bring our first and our best. And he promises freedom through that. So what Malachi is trying to get through the people is the same thing that God tries to get through us today. It's just to let go and trust 
that he can do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. We can sit in planning meetings all day and plan out the next 20 years of our church's life if we wanted to. But God's plans are much higher, much better. His, his ways are better than ours could ever be because he will give more than we can ever ask or imagine according to his purposes. That's what Paul says. So we're going to respond this morning and we're going to sing this song called Fountains and it's our declaration that we understand that everything that we have, our satisfaction is in God and God alone. So in these next few moments, I want us just to, to maybe it's just listening, maybe it's singing, maybe it's praying, it's asking God to, to reveal some things to you that maybe he's working on some things in your life right now. And then we're going to take up our offering but we're going to respond to the gospel message. So, Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your words in Malachi. I just pray that our hearts, God, would, would follow our treasure, but I just pray that our treasures, our time, the resources that we have would be invested into the kingdom and that we would trust you with everything that we have. So, God, I pray these things in your name.